You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Michael. Andre, uh, a hair-raising experience uh, at Roy Thompson Hall. Yeah, we, we brought the mobile studio with us to the great Italian tasting that took place uh, last week. And um, we were not allowed to use it. But let's not get into too many details about this because we still managed to put together a fantastic podcast. Um, we yeah, explain what happened on the week, tape here. We did it old school, if you really think about it. Completely. We, we used our cell phones for the first time in, what, three years? Oh, probably longer. Anyways, roll the tape. What the heck has happened to us? Um, well, we came into Roy Thompson Hall for the great Italy tasting that takes place. Uh, it's been a couple of years since it's taken place. Yeah, 2019 was the last one that was there. Uh, as you, if you've been listening to this podcast, many people know I had a chance to visit Abruzzo earlier this year and uh, go to the Anteprima, do a walk around tasting. Um, there's a highlight reel on my Instagram at Andre Wine Review, but I was uh, very excited. I had a chance to meet who we're about to interview at the Abruzzo tasting and found out that she was going to be coming to Toronto in the fall. And we had this great plan to bring the mobile studio with us. And, to- we, were, and we were going to record on the stage at Roy Thompson Hall. We were going to do a big intro with, live from Roy Thompson Hall. It's two guys talking wine. So instead, live from the food court below Roy Thompson Hall. Oh, at the Oxford Properties Leasing Inquiries. Booth. With without our proper equipment we're going old school i think we talked about it recently on the podcast how far the equipment's come but there are no plugins in this food court which i can't believe that i know especially like we're in like we're off bay street we're in like the heart of commerce for toronto and there's nowhere for people to even plug their phones in here i was shocked by this anyways anyway enough bitching i guess so um without further ado andre introduced the guest we are joined by mariana velanosi hi Hi, Hi, how are you? Hi, you're very I'm fine. You're very bright. You have a very pink suit on. You're yes, I love pink. Okay. Also, pink wines. Okay, uh, I do too. I mean, that's it. So, at the tasting in Abruzzo, I've been um, I've been fairly critical of the Montepulciano grape on the podcast. I learned a lot on the trip, but I think my greatest frustration from the tasting was tasting a lot of wines where the principals would tell you, "Oh, it'll be ready to drink in 25, 30 years," and I'm almost 40 years old now. I don't want to buy wines I'm waiting to drink till I'm 70, but there were a handful of wines. Yours was a Cherosuolo that you were pouring that was just outstanding. So that's why I was hoping to talk to you and taste some of your wines in more detail, because I think that was the, you had one or two wines at that tasting, if I'm not mistaken. Do you remember what you were pouring? Uh, yes, I was pouring the Prope line, so okay. the Montepulciano, Cherosuolo, okay. okay. and Trebbiano. Okay. So I remember the Cherosuolo. I don't remember the Treviano as much. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I, there were a lot I, of wines that day. Yeah. I want to just jump in here and, and, and say, Andre, Cherosuolo is a rosé made from Montepulciano. Yes. So did you know that at the time, or did you just think it was yeah, a well, red it was wine? Yeah, it was something that I learned. So it's the other thing we talk about on this podcast is um, I don't know a lot about Italian wine, so when I have a chance to learn, I'm always happy to learn about it. And, uh, you mean, that was something that I've learned this year. Uh, I had a chance to take, well, yours is memorable, and obviously um, Christiana Trib- um Shoot, I'm blanking on her name. While you do that, I remember trying a Nick Taglia... Taglia... No, <laughs> he's not a pasta. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's from the, the Abruzzo region, Nick. Okay. Uh, N-I-C... T-I-G-T-A-G... Boy, we're terrible at remembering anything. It's amazing yes. we can... Uh, Anyway, he had a great churrasuelo, and he told me okay. the um, the um, 
reason why it's called Cherisuelo and why Montepulciano does not Tiberio. appear. There it is, Tiberio, Christiana uh, Tiberio. She was Tiberio. at the helper. Yeah, she was Tiberio. at the. At the uh, thanks for fixing the pronunciation. Don't worry. She was at the helper and tasting uh, recently. Anyways, let's. But talk yes, about- why why multiple Chano does not appear on the label to finish yes. my sentence before you j- jumped in with whatever your name was. No worries. But now the thing is, here I am. I'm meeting you in Toronto. We're talking about your wines that you were pouring today. But you're telling me that uh, you your winery is actually not in Abruzzo. Actually, I have two wineries. Okay. The first one is in Le Marque, so okay. the most historical one that uh, has been founded in 1984 by my parents. Okay. And the second one is in Abruzzo. Okay. But uh, since we are really um, to the border in Abruzzo and Le Marque, the two wineries uh, are just uh, 15 kilometers uh, far in distance so it's like 20 minutes by car so actually they're really close to each other and in both wineries we do produce Montepulciano as well for example but we have different appellations okay got it so um, I guess we'll put you on the spot which appellation do you like better oh my god oh, that's a tough question it's like to ask uh, which one is your favorite the children oh, yeah. oh come on but every parent has a every favorite par- every parent has a favorite but child you, you cannot say it even if you've got a preference you know? let's pretend they're not listening <laughs> <laughs> no it's really difficult um, I would say that uh, uh, of course Montepulciano is uh, what we like the most because we started producing uh, Montepulciano uh, in 1984 blended with Sangiovese. So this appellation is called Rosso Piceno and is typical from Le Marche region. So we we born with that appellation. So for sure uh, is the appellation I more I'm more attached, I could say. Uh, but I cannot say it's my favorite one. I mean, uh, I really love the wine I produce and I always say that uh, we really try to improve ourselves every day, every vintage, every harvest. So I'm sure that my favorite wine has to be produced. You know no. what what I say. No, no. So. I had a chance to learn quite a bit about Abruzzo in that trip that I was I was there. I've been fortunate enough to taste a lot of the wines after I've come back. In terms of what you're when you're describing the two regions to a consumer and not just to a regional consumer to a Canadian who maybe doesn't know a lot about Italian wine, what would you describe as the biggest difference between La Marca and Abruzzo? First of all, the wine production. I mean, in terms of numbers, uh, Abruzzo is uh, well known for the wine production, while Le Marche is still quite undiscovered. So for this one, there is a main region, which are the numbers of wine production. If we think about the average Italian wine production, so Italy produces per year 50 million hectoliters of wine. Um, so the, the first region in terms of production is Veneto, where Prosecco is, so they produce more than 9 million hectoliters per year, for example. Abruzzo is a big producer. So Abruzzo, the region, produces uh, almost 4 million hectoliters per year. So it's a big producer, especially with the Montepulciano, which is one of the biggest appellation in terms of wine production in Italy. Le Marche, on the opposite side, is one of the smallest regions in terms of wine production. So the whole region produces 800,000 hectoliters per year. So it's a really small production compared to the other regions of Italy. So it still has to be developed compared to Abruzzo, for example. And at the same time, I always say that uh, Le Marche is Le Marche wine production 
is a well-kept secret of Italian winemaking because we have the perfect condition for winemaking, but we are not well known. So it's quite hard to make people understand Le Marche wines because they don't know Le Marche region, you know? Now, there was something you and I were talking about right before I hit record that I think is going to pose a challenge for your region in terms of recognition because we talked about how when... Well, tomorrow you're going to Montreal? Uh, yes. And how are you getting to Montreal? By plane. <laughs> and we talked a bit about getting around and how... In Canada, it's really not normal to use the train, where in Europe, it's more normal. Like, you go to France, you can go from Paris to Lyon to Bordeaux over the course of hours. But arriving in Italy, when you get a plane in Rome, to get to Abruzzo, you have to take a bus or a car. Yes. So do you... What What is the infrastructure like for, I guess, tourism and maybe, like, gastro-tourism, like, just to have people come and be enticed to taste the wines of your region? But, of course, the wine production... Uh, uh, notoriety will increase with the wine toys. So, and the problem in that part of Italy, so we are talking about the central Italy on the east coast, the problem is that we don't have the infrastructures. So, if you want to reach the region, you have to, uh, to take a plane to Rome or to Milan and then mainly take a car rent a car because if uh, even if you want to go around and see the different small towns the different borghi you have to drive a car so it's not easy to reach that part of italy and we don't have trains for example from rome so if you think about that it's just two hours by car so it's not that far and you just have to cross italy from west side to east side we don't have a train to do that Andre, it'd be the same here. Like coming down to Niagara is not as easy, and yeah, once totally. you get once you get off the train, you have to rent a car or, or get on a bike. Or there's not even a bus that that will get you into Niagara on the lake. Okay, but I mean, let's maybe talk a little bit about the infrastructure that's in place, though. Because if we're talking about Niagara on the lake, we're talking about the region to the west of Lake Ontario. Like we're at the point now where there is infrastructure being developed. There's hotels that are popping up. There's luxury hotels, boutique hotels. The food scene in St. Catharines, you live in St. Catharines, is really starting to, to be popping. And yeah, there's no Michelin Guide down there yet, but there's some interesting restaurants. Is there that sort of culture being developed to attract tourists in La Marquia and Abruzzo? Uh, yes, in the past few years, I see a big difference in the, in the mentality. and So a lot of uh, uh, constructions of new hotels, of boutique wineries. So um, there is something changing. And I like it because it means that uh, uh, we really have... I always say that I have a white paper in front of me. So I have everything to write on my own. So the story of a certain territory. It's not like if I'm producing Chianti. So everybody knows Chianti or Barolo. It's difficult to say something different if you produce Chianti. I mean, there are so many producers. I think Chianti producers would be very upset to hear that, but go ahead. I know, I know I'm sorry. Sorry for Chianti producers. I really, I really like that, knows. though. Nobody yeah. knows Rosso Piceno. Come on. I've never, I have never had a person knocking my door and asking me for a Rosso Piceno. Oh, please, I want to buy a Rosso Piceno. This is not 
happen? That, that, and, but that is your dream, just to one day have somebody... Why not? not okay, just checking. I just want to <laughs> Why know not? that. I, I would like. And get off a bus in front of your winery and go, I'm looking for a Rosso Pacino. Why not? Okay, that's what she's... <laughs> So we okay. So you know, let's, if let's, you build it, they will come. How about that? Okay, so okay. <laughs> we're talking about Rosso Picciano now, and we're talking about actually. Before we do that, there's a word that you said there that I don't think I'm familiar with. That you are both probably familiar with. Borghe. Is that just the Italian Borghe. word for winery? It's no. kind of a. It's go ahead. It's a you small town, uh, small yeah. town like um, which are not big cities or where you just have small hotels and B and B this kind. But of it, it, it does sometimes, you know. Borgo Scopetto. Mm. That that's a winery name. Yes. So it's named after a town, obviously. If only you could pronounce your French words the way you pronounce Italian words. Maybe I like Italian better. I'm not sure. <laughs> Probably. Yep. Anyways, let's do a quick segue though, because uh, we're here below Roy Thompson Hall in the food yeah. court. But before we came down here, we did a really rapid fire tasting of some wonderful wines that you were pouring upstairs. Um, do we want to go through what we thought about the wines and get well? So um, the, the first one she poured us was—is that the Rosso? That was the Pecorino, the the first one. Oh, that Pecorino. Sorry, and that was the Le Marque. Yes, it was the DOCG. So uh, yeah, I, I I liked it. I've had a couple of Pecorinos today uh, already. Uh, I thought it. Uh, now, granted, I I can't say I've been drinking all day. It's not true. Uh, I did give. I gave a talk earlier a seminar so i had to be okay just get to the coherent. point Michael. but what i was saying is that um i've i it's an, it's a, a to me it's a nice pecorino uh i found it very soft uh pecorino i'm i'm always looking for a little bit of more of a salty minerality i didn't pick it up uh from there um i found it in, in like the it was, it was very enjoyable. Fruit, it was fruit driven. It was missing. It was missing the minerality of a lot of the pecorino that we tasted in Abruzzo. But at the same time, I really liked the ripeness. It pushed more. It pushed more towards peach notes, pear notes, but like very ripe on both sides. Correct. It and still I, had nice acid to. I guess I'm, I'm. I guess I'm looking for more of the minerality and the saltiness because I always think of pecorino and then I think of seafood. Or is there a know, difference in, in style when it becomes DOCG as opposed to to DOC? Or is there like can you? Say something about about your particular style of pecorino, but maybe why it's not what Michael was expecting. I would say what I was expecting, but I didn't get a chance to taste any other pecorinos today. <laughs> so actually, the pecorino from Le Marque and pecorino from Abruzzo they are quite different. So of course, the most well known is the pecorino from Abruzzo because of what we 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 said before in terms of quantity. So of course, you have more chance to. To try to taste a pecorino from Abruzzo compared to a pecorino from Le Marche. But the main difference is the terroir, is the territory. So we are in uh, Ofida, which is a specific part close to a town called Ofida, where it comes, a small borgo, <laughs> where it gets the, the name uh, Ofida DOCG pecorino. Uh, and we have a law that we have to follow. So, for example, uh, the wine can be put in the market only after the 1st of March. We have to produce uh, a wine with a alcohol level higher than 11.5. And we have law also for the quantity per, per vineyard we can produce. So it's a lower quantity per hectare compared to the DOC or the IGT of Pecorino. Uh, of course, there is also our style as well that uh, stress this characteristic that uh, Andre said about the peach, about the pear. So we really want to uh, 
uh, with the Rev, this is the name of the pecorino you tasted before, we really want to show you the longevity of this grape variety. Uh, because pecorino can have a really long life, but still we don't know that much about pecorino grape because it has been rediscovered only 40 years ago. So it's not that much that we produce 100% pecorinos. Before, there was pecorino, it, mo it was mainly a wild-growing uh, grape, and we mainly use it uh, as a blend with other grapes, so with passerina, with trebbiano, with other uh, grape varieties. So we still have to learn a lot about this grape variety, but in our experience we found out that pecorino has a really great longevity. And that's the goal we want to reach with uh, the Rev Pecorino, to show the longevity of this grape variety. That's why we also use barrique for the fermentation. Mm. Maybe that, that is the point why you miss a little bit of minerality, of acidity, and you have more richness in terms of fruits. But that's a style. The bar the, so the barrels that you're using, though, they didn't taste like there was new oak on that. Is it older barrels that you're using? It's new oak. No way. Yes, but it only didn't taste like didn't did taste oaky. So no, but just a small part of the wine. Oh, okay. okay. So, so not the whole quantity. Uh, that's my brother who is in charge of uh, the production of Rev. So it's uh, his project, and uh, uh, only up to 50% maximum of the wine is does the fermentation in uh, barriques. The other 50% remains in stainless steel, and after a few months we blend together the two wines, and then we go to the bottle. So. Got it. Okay. All right. Done with Pecorino. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's fascinating to. Well, I mean, it's it's fascinating to hear the just the different choice in style, and I'm curious. Like, it's kind of like you, you did your seminar on Pinot Grigio today. Right. Pinot Grigio is also a grape that is very versatile in terms of style, especially in in Italy when you can go from north to south like a Sicilian Pinot Grigio tastes a hell of a lot different than correct and again it's all it's all based on style and and batonage and barrel see look at me it looks like I almost know what I'm talking about with all, Italian wine almost okay. very close what was the second one we tasted so it was this uh, so we're looking at a picture of it obviously and yeah because we, we literally like we shotgunned them when we found out we couldn't record yep. at Roy Thompson Hall tasted the lineup real quick and came down here so uh, and then you put them in order here so if I'm not mistaken it's this red label one so if you're if you're listening to the podcast just kind of tap your screen or whatever you're doing and go back and quickly look at the bottle it's a red label and you said it's got uh, no that's what is the depiction of the red thing. What is that red? That's a nympha. Nympha is the godness of the wood. Okay, so, so it's, it's a, it's a, a, girl it's, a wood, it's a wood nymph. Okay. Because yeah. okay. I know you said that in the other ones there's four uh, people dancing and yes. then I was like wait a second where's the people dancing so um, so this is uh, so tell us about this wine first of all before first of all, we the name of the wine is, yeah. is Nympha Nympha. Yes. Nympha okay and then tell us what it is and from which region from which region it's from so Nympha actually is our uh, last pour because uh, it's the second vintage we produce this wine and uh, we wanted to produce a supermarket so uh, IGT wine with international grape varieties. That was our goal. Then um, we came out with this blend. It's a blend of Montepulciano because you know we are mainly produce Montepulciano and Cabernet, Merlot and Syrah. What is the dominant grape? Is it Montepulciano? It's always or Montepulciano, no? okay, the it. dominant grape. Okay. Even if uh, with this wine there are like 40% Montepulciano and the rest uh, of international okay. grape varieties. 
And uh, Nympha is a wine that uh, we um, we launched two years ago because we wanted to celebrate the 20th cent- uh, anniversary of Ludi, which is the other wine actually. Okay. Because Ludi is born on this idea to produce a wine IGT with international grape varieties. So since uh, after afterwards the DOCG is born in my territory, the Ofida DOCG, so the same as the Pecorino, we have two. Ofida DOCG Pecorino and Ofida DOCG Red. So since the DOCG is born, we decided to start producing a DOCG wine. So we had to change the original idea and the original... But your DOCG clearly worked with you to allow those international grapes to yes, be part of the blend. Yes, but only in a smaller part, 15%. So okay. I had to change completely the idea of the wine. Okay, listen, um, are there are there financial and like and tax breaks for making a DOCG versus an IGT? Is that why you made the changes, or is it just more prestigious to be DOCG? Like, what's the reason? What's the reason for pushing pushing back when you could still continue to make an IGT wine if you wanted to? But uh, that's a good question, actually. Okay. Uh, it's a choice. It's a choice. I mean, uh, I know a lot of producers uh, uh, producing IGT. And not even if they are in the OCG areas. That's a choice of the producer. In our case, we really wanted to stress the territory. And since a new DOCG was born, that was for us an opportunity to increase the notoriety, the brand of the DOCG by producing a wine in the DOCG. But I guess it's a choice. That's why now we also started producing again uh, IGT wine on the original idea of Ludi. And you, wait, was Ludi, Ludi you poured today, was that IGT? It's a DOCG. DOCG, okay, so today. you have, you, okay, un- okay, understood. So now the Nympha, what did you think of that? That's the one that's 40% well, multiple Giano. I, I, okay, I, I have a question, I, I have another question. Okay. Because we're now talking about like the, the, the marketing side of this and trying to raise the notoriety of the Lamarque region. How has the market responded to this concept of making a supermarket wine? Uh, actually, they really liked this style of wine because it's a wine that is easy to understand compared also to a DOCG. But that's a style of the producer, you know. Then, of course, uh, we are the only wine, call, the only producer calling, calling it a supermarket. So it's, it's not, not that easy. <laughs> oh, I understand. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Uh, you, what, what, what do you think? What do you think of? What do you thought of it, Michael? Well, I gave you the I gave you my note on the first time, and I think I I insulted our our, our guest. So now it's your turn. I don't think you insulted. You were consulted. It was it was it wasn't it wasn't the best best review I've given. No, but it was a fair comment. Not understanding that the style was was different, right? Mariana explained that the, it was a deliberate choice to make the wine. But on with you with the nymph, my friend. Um, I was I was surprised because, as I said on the podcast, I I did enjoy a lot of the wines in Abruzzo, but I found I still find multiple Giano difficult because of the tannin. The tannic structure is just so hard and it takes such a long time for these wines to relax. That was not the case with any of the wines that we tasted today, so I'm bearing the lead a little bit. I was actually just surprised at how soft the tannin was and how accessible it was. There was a little bit of tannin that gripped at the end of the couple sips that we had in the in the glass, but it wasn't inaccessible and it was definitely red fruit driving that. Was this this was the one I thought was Zinfandel-esque, yeah, with the Syrah. 
I felt it. I felt it had Zinfandel characters. So I, I found that the the nympha had a lot of coffee and, yep, uh, and licorice and leather. Uh, and I, and I, I thought it was I, blueberry, and then you said, "Well, Zinfandel has plum," and it was just that was the thing I couldn't put my finger on. Is it, it was very plum like. So I I was less I less enjoyed this than you did. Uh, yeah, it, to me it it bordered on on chewing on a on a coffee bean. <laughs> and I'm. I, what were you drinking today earlier, though? But um, I, I don't like. I don't like. I'm not a coffee drinker. If you're a coffee drinker, this is your wine. Like I am you're not gonna, a coffee you're drinker. Gonna love I loved this. it. I loved the Ludi. I thought the Ludi was was, the Ludi, a, was a lovely bottle. The Ludi. Of wine. The Ludi was. It was better to me. It was softer. It was. That one to me was more approachable. I thought the tannins were were well balanced. I, I found the acidity to be, you know, kind of where you want it to be, food friendly. Okay. So the Ludi to me was the was out of these two bottles, which are similar, from what I understand. They're Montepulciano, they're Cabernet, they're Merlot. One of them has Syrah. One of them Nympha does not. has Syrah. Ludi does Correct. not. Because I was paying attention. Correct. So I was gonna. I was trying to let uh, her say something. But obviously, we're going to dominate now as, as we're going. Um, so, so the Ludi doesn't have the Syrah, and I think the Syrah brings something to. The, and obviously, this is a selection. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> thank, thanks for saying Holy something. Holy crap! When did you start asking questions like me? Get to your point. So, uh, what I'm what I'm saying is, there's a selection. So, Ludi obviously is is a higher grade wine, just based on the price. And um, so, uh, I, I like the Ludi better. I found it more approachable. I found it fruitier. Um, I didn't find the coffee. I didn't find the. I thought it was uh, time and place, though. Like the wines, the wines are com- completely different. You know, correct. Like, like the, but the, the, you're asking me which one I like better, and I like the Ludi better than I like the Nympha. And I okay. told you why because I, I didn't want to chew on a coffee bean. Okay. Whereas I liked the fruit, and I liked, and I guess the Syrah. Maybe that's what brings the the coffee. Okay. So here's the the big question I had upstairs where I just stopped myself so I didn't didn't ask it because, like I said, Montepulciano for me as a new Italian wine person um, tells the story of tannin and the tannin is really well under control in both of these wines and you said that Montepulciano is the biggest portion of both of these wines is that correct? Yes What does your family do to make sure that those tannins stay in check and you're still keeping everything well balanced like what's the what's the secret to making a accessible Montepulciano actually that's a really tough question okay uh, you know uh, in 40 years of experience of producing Montepulciano of course not all vintages were that good so at the beginning what n- was not easy to produce Montepulcianos because you have to really know how to treat Montepulciano to produce this smooth wine and take all the fruits that is possible to have with the Montepulciano. For sure, starting from the vineyards, so you have to work a lot on the grapes so to produce a good Montepulciano. So doing a selection of of the best vines and uh, also not producing a too high quantity per hectare, uh, it helps to take under control the quality of the Montepulciano. And for sure, the barrels, because we use a lot of barrels to uh, smooth this part, it can help. But of course, that's a more technical question, uh, and my brother would answer better than me. <laughs> so, Andre, I don't know what kind of uh, Montepulciano Bruzzo they, they poured for you in on this trip, because... Uh, a lot of the multiple Giano Abruzzo that we get here in Ontario uh, is very much ready to drink now. 
Mm. Well, we should do another tasting later on this year because, uh, like I said, it was my frustration on the trip was finding all these wines that were so fussy and, and difficult, except, uh, have you tasted the Villamagna? Yes. Wines? Yeah, yes. I found that the entire region, the focus is making the wines more accessible. And that was one region where like every wine was just being pushed ready to drink. So I'm happy to do it. But I'm we, happy to revisit Abruzzo we did and it. Multiple Chiano to taste these wines to keep find something that's more accessible. We had a Multiple Chiano Abruzzo dinner. I remember those wines being fussy as well. Oh, see, I didn't find them fussy. I found them, you know, ready or on the cusp of being ready. Not 40 years ready. I'm in, you know, within a couple of years. So, I don't know where you're getting the fussiness from. Okay, so what am I doing wrong? Uh, obviously, you got to get a new tongue or something. I, don't, I don't really don't know what the... the drink a little bit less Pinot and Chardonnay? Correct, yes. Drink a less of those those lighter wines and get your, get your ass into a store and buy something with some heft to it. And maybe get used to drinking a wine with some balls. I don't know what, uh, what more I can say to you. <laughs> How do you know when a wine has balls, Michael? It's uh, because it has a deeper voice. So, um... Now, uh, I'm going to move on to this this one with the clippers on it. Oh, it is clippers. Yes. Yeah. So they're shears. So they actually, they are a mini pair of shears. And if you can pry them off the bottle, you can probably use them for maybe a dandelion in your garden. And then that's about it. So, um... This was your Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. Yes. And, that, and it's your and it's your top, yes. your top tier, <coughs> top tier wine. So... But it was similar to the other two. The tannin was soft. It is a Van de Gout. Like, if you want to buy it and keep it in the cellar, this is one where... I don't think I would personally would keep it for 30 years. I think five I to seven years is when the tannin would really th- start I to think, fall off. I think 30, do you, do you, does this, is it said in your region 30 to 40 years? Is that, because I don't know, I don't, I know very few people who actually hold wines that, that long yes. that Michael are going to enjoy them. Well, well, maybe yes. not anything. But, but you know, in twenty years, yes, forty years is pushing it because mm. you're really gonna you're really gonna be in, ter- I might in, be, in tertiary. Territory yeah, I might be. I might be exaggerating a little bit with my you're, frustration as an impatient wine you're, critic. You're, 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 you're at this point. If you wait forty years to drink this, you're basically licking the the uh, the the forest floor. Like there's just there's gonna be nothing. Okay, there let's that's just get to be, this wine. Be fruit forward. I okay, always for- suggest twenty maximum twenty five years. Yeah, I could okay. see so. So I could see this wine. So this is uh, what, what is it called? Verso um, Sera. Verso Sera. So Verso uh, Sera is um, it's a it's a it's a. Lo- I thought this was lovely, and you said you you could drink this every night. Yes. And I I would like to drink it every night. I just I, I don't have that kind of money. Um, it's but, eighty dollars a bottle in this market. Correct. So, but it it is a very approachable wine. It's a very delicious wine. This this it was my favorite wine of the four. Um, and I and I really enjoyed drinking it. Uh, and I and, and had we been sitting here with a glass of wine, um, not in Oxford Properties, wherever the heck we are, underneath the Roy Thompson Hall, that would be the wine that I would sit here and sip on, and we could have this wonderful conversation using proper microphones. Interesting. I liked I liked Ludi best. Oh no! I thought that Montepulciano was. I I really love Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. I think it's a such a lovely grape. It makes such lovely wines. Um, I like the fact that you can hold them easily five years. Like I don't know about twenty five. I don't think I've held them. Uh, you know what? I probably have. One. You have. I probably. Um, I have. But you know, ones that were really cheap to buy. 
but I really like multiple John and Abruzzo. Let's, I let's think let Mariana jump in. She's I tried the, um, I tasted the uh, Ludi from 98. Okay. So it has 20 years in bottle because it was... Uh, and uh, I can say it was really, really good. So actually 20 years is a good... Does, it, does it still have a lot of fruit to it or was it more tertiary characteristics? Uh, yes, more tertiary. Oh. So a lot of liquorice, a lot of cafe, as you said it before, a lot of tobacco. Uh, the fruit was not the crunchy fresh fruit that you have today with the new vintage but still you had some hint of uh, fruit so hints of dried fruits yes. so under that's just not your bag no totally not I, so. I like my wines with like a little bit of youth and, and vibrancy to them um but maybe on, on this so we've gone through the wines yep. we've talked about Lamarca. we've talked about Villanossi. um how can people find out more about the winery if they'd like to uh decipher my poor pronunciations of everything that you've said but uh, we um, we have a website, so everything is on our website about our wines and also the all the explanation about each wine we did personally, me and my mother, because we wanted people to really under can hear our voice and what we have to say about uh, each wine. Um, and in Ontario, uh, we work a lot actually in the Oreca, so in the restaurants mm. sector. Uh, more than uh, stores so we serve uh, Italian restaurants mainly well thank you very much for taking the time to me it's good to connect again and maybe next time it'll be in uh, Italy so you guys can both correct me on my view of Montepulciano because it and sounds like I need some stuff to learn we can let him taste uh, other pecorinos yes yeah, <laughs> I would like to try some more pecorino exactly uh, thank, thank you so much thank you for inviting me it was thank, a pleasure thank you thank you so I, I now need to learn more about La Marche La Marca I'm sorry. I'm up to Le, everyone. Lamarque. Yes. Every okay. So you know how I give you a hard time about French pronunciations. I get people who uh, come at me hard on my um, on my Instagram whenever I mention anything in Italian. And the thing is, there are a lot of um, parallels between French and Italian. Like when I'm in Italy and I'm around Italians, I can get the gist of what more people are saying. But I just I just can't wrap my head around. Um, around the pronunciations i'm good with wine knowledge like if you're in a wine cellar uh you know wine shop that kind of thing i get all of those words uh i may miss one or two but usually i'm beside somebody that i can turn to and go uh what does that mean um but i i can get it as you know and i also you know they point a lot so uh you you get the gist of, of what's going on uh i'm i'm pretty proud of my italian accent lately though yeah, I, I mean, good on you for that. Um, so I know I, I cut one part out of the interview because I wanted to talk about where you could get some of these some of these wines. Um, just because they they were delicious, we did enjoy enjoy the wines. Um, a couple of shout outs to Casamoto, which is a really great restaurant run by the Chase Hospitality Group, and Italy. If you're looking to pick one up, you and I were both, um, I think, a little impressed. Not a little impressed. We were impressed with the wine selection at. I was, I was a lot impressed by what was happening at Italy. Yeah, like uh, I'd never been there before. What a fabulous uh, little shop! Like not little either. Yeah, uh, great selection of Italian wines. I I don't think there's any that you can get at the LCBO. Like it's just really well, really well curated. Anyways, this is where we uh, we start to wrap up. I'm Andre Proof from AndreWineReview.ca, and I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Follow me on social media at AndreWineReview. Follow you can follow me on social media at uh, the Grape Guy and Michael Pincus. So take us away, Michael. 
Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.